good morning. My name is Matt Wadarzik, and we're going to have a test on how to spell my last name after we're done here. I've spoken about my career before, how it's sort of taken its ups and downs. And I've, I graduated from the University of Portland in 1980 with an accounting degree. And people have said to me sometimes, accounting is very exciting. And I go, no, no. It's rather mundane. And they say, why do you say that? And I said, I can prove it. Have you ever gone to the toy store and seen an accountant action figure? You know, Avengers don't have accountant man. They've got everything else. And what would he do? You know, throw calculators and boxes of QuickBooks at people? I mean, he wouldn't be any good, okay? But we had, accounting is somewhat mundane. You do the same thing every month. But once a year, depending on the company, it gets really exciting because they bring in crack auditors to do a financial audit of your company. And they're there, they start there early February maybe, and they show up and uh, they have a couple goals that they need to, uh, to do. They come in with two goals mainly, and they will be up there in a second. Okay, two goals of an audit, to examine on a test basis evidence supporting the amounts and disclosures in the financial statements. In plain words, what you see is what's really there, okay? and then to publish an opinion. And this opinion is really interesting. It's very short, it's very sweet, it's very to the point. You may get a book that's this thick of accounting, of audit stuff, but there is an opinion that they live for. The banks wanna see it, the investment groups wanna see it. Anybody that deals with a company really wants to see it. And let me show you the opinion. It is, in our opinion, the financial statements present fairly in all material respects, the financial position of XYZ organization. You see, it doesn't say it's perfect. It doesn't say that there may be some internal control weaknesses, minor. It doesn't say it can do things better. It just says it fairly represents the company. Is this right, Stu? <laughs> Thank you. Stu's an accountant, too. <laughs> We're in that brotherhood of accountants. We get together and paint our Easter eggs white. Um, <laughs> no secrets. Now, what would you think if this church here decided to do spiritual audits on everybody? And you put together a crack spiritual audit team of Gadare, Abbots, and Swanson. What would you think about that? And they had two goals. They'd come to your house early February, and let's see what the two goals are. To examine on a test basis evidence supporting the spiritual depth and growth of the life presented. They want to examine your life. And then to publish an opinion. Ooh. It's one thing to be examined. It's another thing to have an opinion published. Let's see what the opinion is. In our opinion, the life of, put your name in there, your name here, presents fairly in all material respects the indwelling Holy Spirit and redeeming work of Christ. Notice it doesn't say perfection. Notice it doesn't say you have some weaknesses. Notice it doesn't say you can be improved. 
I have to ask the question, what would the opinion be for you? Tough question, isn't it? I don't like the question myself. But you sit here, we're not going to do that as a church. Unless you like that idea, Scott. <laughs> he doesn't like it. Okay. We're not going to do that. But the Apostle Paul, in I think it's Corinthians, makes a comment about examine yourselves to make sure you're in the house of faith. Okay, that's talking about salvation. But also, we need to have some guidelines as to how, do, how are we doing? What, how do we know we're doing okay? We're progressing. You know, the, the Christian life is one where you should be growing in faith, in spiritual fruit, et cetera, et cetera. Well, how do we know? Well, the Apostle John has given us some cues already. And, and he's mentioned three things. Did I say Paul or John? Sorry, Apostle John. He's given us three cues already. And there's a fourth one we're going to look at today, too. But um, let's take a look at what I call self-audit questions. And these are on your insert. You know, basically, they are, where are you, what are you, what are you, and what are you? Let's take a look at them one at a time. So let's go to the first one. And it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Ooh, if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness. Basically, it's where are you walking? That's one way to look at it. Are you walking in darkness or are you walking in light? Which one is it? Very easy question. You're either there or you're not. It's zero or one, it's yes or no, it's off or on. Very simple. No gray area. Are you walking in darkness or not? So that's where are you walking. Then there's two. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Hmm. If we claim we have not sinned. That's a good one. So basically, it's, what are you thinking? Are you thinking things that don't match up with Scripture? Hmm. That's a good way to look at it. Are you fighting over Scripture, which I think you should every once in a while? You should fight with it and go, no, I don't think that's right. And God will say, yeah, it is. Let me show you how this works. Sometimes we need to fight through things to really get the meaning and the gist of it. But here, what are you thinking? And let's go to number three. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he, what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So what are you doing? If God says do this and you do that, that's a pretty good indication that you, maybe that's an area you've got to work on. Maybe that's an area you don't know yet is a problem. Um, I love the Old Testament with the offering system. They, um, they go through all these different types of offerings. And then there's one for the unknown sin. Isn't that cool? You have an offering for the unknown sin. And the basis of it is you could go through life and think that I am fine in this given area. No problem here, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, God opens your eyes and you go, oh my gosh, I've been wrong all this time. It's offering for the unknown sin. You go and offer, and it gets forgiven. So this is, what are you doing? And the fourth one, which is the one we're going to delve into some more today, is anyone who claims to be in the light but 
hates his brother is still in the darkness. How can that be in the Christian realm? How can you love God and hate your brother? So the question is, what are you hating? And, I, and this is a strange topic for after Thanksgiving, right? But it's here. And God sort of lays these plans out to where this message is here for his reasons, his purposes, and for some people in here. So we look at this, and we go, okay, we got these four things I can work on, but now how do we deal with number four? So let's start working ourselves that way. Um, Okay, Rich. Oh, sorry. In case you missed it, I was talking too fast. There's the four. What are you walking? Where are you walking? What are you thinking? What are you doing? And what are you hating? Well, so now we'll start moving towards the actual passage we've got here today. And this is 1 John 2, 7 through 8. And this is what I call the command to love. And it says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. This truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He sounds like he's going somewhat circular here, but he is talking about what they learned about the old. He's going to talk about we've got this new thing out here now, and really he's talking about love. It's same basis but it's like this new love is more enhanced. It's more on steroids. It's a little more powerful, a lot more powerful. But let's take a look at what the old love was. It says, this is Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. We've all heard that. Jesus mentions it as this is one of the two greatest commandments. You see, back then, God had to define what love was. There's a section where he talks about donkeys. It's sort of fun. He says, if you find a donkey in the hole, and it's your friend's donkey, get it out of the hole. Okay? If you find a donkey in the hole, and it's your neighbor's donkey, get it out of the hole. If you find a donkey, you don't know whose it is, take it home, somebody will come get it. Right? But you have to imagine this guy's walking down the road, and he sees a donkey in the hole, and he goes... The donkey in the hole. What do I do? So he pulls out his Old Testament book of rules and laws, and he says, under the heading, donkey in the hole, and it says, get it out, take it home. Ah, okay. See, but this is somewhat of a cultural kind of love. God had to define the rules within their culture of this is what you do to be loving. Take care of the donkey. You know, for us, it's pretty basic. You know, if we see a donkey in the hole, we go, first of all, how'd it get here? You know, and we go, I'm not touching that thing, right? But back then, donkeys were important. Very important. They were wealth. They were employment. And it was cultural love because at that point, the indwelling Holy Spirit was not resident in all believers. If you read through the Old Testament, you will see that he comes and goes. 
it, you'll hear it say, and the Spirit came on so-and-so and they did this thing. And the Spirit came on so-and-so and they did that thing. And then he went away. But in this new paradigm we're in now, which is where we get to the new command to love, he's dwelling within us. And you see, this is Jesus in John 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, he's now raised the standard for what love is. He's raised it. And people should be able to look at us as a group and say, those people love each other. It's got to be Jesus is in there somewhere, right? But then 1 John 4, which is farther on in this book we're looking at, it defines what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We're now dealing with supernatural love. Notice it's gone beyond donkeys and looking at the list. It's now, we're now laying down our lives for our brothers. Which, oh, by the way, brothers in this terminology is talking about us here. Or the Christian church as it gets out larger. But really, he's speaking to a, congreg- a local congregation saying, hey, here we go. Now, you then have to ask the question, well, how do we get this supernatural love? Well, you can't drudge it up. You can't try to be more loving. It's more, the starting point is, where are you when it comes to the gospel message? And the gospel message is, man got separated from God. God wanted to create that connection again. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. Our accepting of that fact and repenting of our sins and accepting God's offer and gift of salvation. When that transaction occurs, guess who decides to dwell inside of you? It's the Holy Spirit. That's why in Corinthians it says the old is gone, the new has come. It's talking about your spirit. Now, the working out of that love, that's sanctification. And that takes time. But the spirit is there and we have this ability to have supernatural love. We don't need to follow the rule book. Although the rule book is good, we should look back at it and go, hmm, what do I do here? But it becomes more second nature to us, how we live as Christians, how our life rolls. So let's go back to the passage that we were looking at. You notice he says, I'm not writing you a new command because... The old command was it, was love. It was taught in the Old Testament. And he says, but the message I'm giving you, I'm writing you a new one. That new one is love like Christ. But then notice he goes and he compliments them. And he says, it's truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He is saying to them, this supernatural love, we can see it within your body. It's there. It's coming out. And I believe that if you track yourself over time as a Christian, you should find yourself more loving over time, more patient, more accepting, more aware of people that need love. So he's saying, 
you're doing a good job. But then, but then, this passage takes this hard turn. And the one thing that the Apostle John does is, you know, he's the gospel of love, or he's the apostle of love. And he starts saying this hard thing. Like, let's go to the next thing there, Rich. This is hard. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. There is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Ouch. And again, you say, how can a Christian who is loving hate their brother? And the scary part about it is, if you notice who this person is, what they're sort of in is they're in darkness, they're walking in darkness, they're blind, they have no clue. They think they're fine. But then you go, well... What kind of hate is this? Now, when, when you think of hate, this is what I think of. You know, this is Hulk. You make the little guy, for me it was Bill Bixby. I don't know who it is now. I'm aging myself. But he gets mad, he turns green, starts destroying things, right? That's hate. And hate is an intense or passionate dislike. You just hate. You want to just strangle them. You want to destroy like our friend here. But the term for hate here is something totally different. It's called indifference. Which is a lack of interest, concern, or sympathy. It's like, so what? So what? My brother's hungry. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I'm fine. They'll figure it out. So how does this indifference play out in the church? Hmm. Well, many times God will place somebody right in front of you with a problem. And you walk away. You go, hmm, they'll figure it out. It's okay. God will take care of them. Be warm and well-fed. but it's a legitimate need. And sometimes, and, and I've seen it happen, it's happened to me, you get hurt the worst by people within the church. And so you, you end up, you don't care about that other person. You just don't. And if something happens to them, you go, good, they got theirs, right? But you see, but he is saying, no, 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 no. There's a legitimate need, and you can meet it. Meet it. Now, I know we could have people in front of us that materially need something. And what I hear a fair amount of is, I'm not going to help because their bad choices put them there. And I go, okay, I get it. But I've also seen where other people have made decisions for them out of their control that have put them there. And Hebrews also talks about God bringing in angels unaware. 
Sometimes it's, and he says they're there. And so I think sometimes God will bring people to us that are Christians that maybe we don't know that well that he wants us to help. Could be an angel. Don't know. But they're there in front of us. And I want to show you that God's not blind to this kind of indifference. I'm going to show you further on in the book. Oh, you got it there. Thank you. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You've already heard that. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with worship, with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Uh, it's a problem there in this church, in that church. It could be a problem here. I don't know of any instances of this. Only you would know. So you, you look at this and you go, Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to do the same. We have no pity on them. Notice it doesn't say you can create an excuse. It just says, no pity? And how can the love of God be in him? And you go, ugh, I don't like this at all. I don't like it. So even God knows the possibilities there. And he's giving us an example. But the secular world itself also understands this. Let me show you some quotes. This is sort of fascinating. The opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. This is Eli Wiesel. He was a gentleman that was in a German prison camp during World War II. The second one is by an, an artist named Jewel. Fashionably sensitive but too cool to care. Doesn't that sound interesting? You say the right things but don't do anything. And then this last one, love will find a way and indifference finds an excuse. Now these are all pretty heavy stuff. So we've got John bringing this up as a problem. We have, it seems to be common, I guess. But then how does this fit here in this body? You know, economically, I think it's safe to say that we don't have anybody here that's on the verge of not eating. I don't think we do. So how does this fit? How does this work in this demographic? Well, there are other needs that need to be met. Some of them are emotional. Some of them we know. Others, we wake up one day and God says, hey, this is going on with this person. Do something. But as I say this, there are some people in this room that can walk into a room of 25 people and feel the pain out of six of them, and they feel responsible for those six. And I, and I say that because I want you to sort of not get into the ought to mentality and think, I need to take care of all these people. 
and really just deal with whoever God has in front of you. Because there's a lot of people out there that have needs. You can watch TV. I mean, I mean, even some of the commercials for the dogs, you know, I, I feel like buying a T-shirt and taking care of a dog. And I'm not a dog person, okay? I'm sorry. Um, not a cat person either. But uh, I'm more iguanas. But um, Yes. But we have to be careful that we don't get caught up and get carried away with, I ought to take care of everybody. But if they're right in front of you, there's a reason they're right in front of you. And on the flip side of this, I hope there's no one in here that would want to take license with these verses and try to emotionally manipulate the rest of us into taking care of you. That's tough too, isn't it? But I've run into it. God said you should. And I go, uh, it's not what I heard. So, whatever he puts in front of us, we need to take care of right away and not delay. No excuses. So, I I hate to to bring up a problem without giving some kind of mitigation or a way to help you figure this out. And I'm speaking to myself, too, because some of the things I'm going to say here, I've violated myself but we need to be aware of what's going on around us. This world is so distracting. I mean, I know all of you, when you hear that ding on your phone, your adrenaline gets pumping, you pick up that phone, you wanna see who's texting you, emailing you, and you find out the email is from Etsy and they want you to look at all these other things and you get all excited and, uh, I signed up for Etsy for some dumb reason, and I finally turned it off because I could not. But we are so distracted anymore. You can't go anywhere without a video screen or somebody looking on their phone. And what that's doing is it's keeping us from being aware of what's going on around us. Let me give you just a couple stories. This was uh, just to give you an idea of how you can, let's say, not be indifferent. Because I I believe a lot of indifference is not intentional. I think it's more passive. I think we're not getting it. I think we don't understand or we're not seeing it. But it was like late 1990. Um, and about a year before my dad had died. And even late 1990, I was still in grief. Um, never told any about anybody about what I was feeling. I'm a guy, right? We don't share too much. We keep it close to the vest. We're going to fight through it. And the uh, church we were going to had uh, basketball on Monday nights. And I can tell you that that basketball experience, I never saw anything on ESPN's top 10 things for the night. It was not that kind of basketball. But after one of the sessions, this guy named Rick, who I hardly knew, came up to me and said, hey, I'm going to take you for a Coke. Going, okay. So we go. And this guy, all he did was he says, 
How you feeling? I know your dad died. What's going on? He just started questioning me. And I went, ah. Oh. See, and up to that point, the world had felt indifferent to me. I felt excluded and isolated because I was all by myself. And this guy, I, I have a feeling that God told him, you know, go, go take this Matt guy out. Even, and he hardly knew me. But he just reached out said, hey, just want to talk to you. Okay, I felt better. I felt like somebody cared. Now, on the flip side of that, I have a, you've heard me say before I like to watch people. Humans are fun to watch, especially at airports or at the mall on Black Friday. I mean, it's great. It's great theater. And this happened to me a bunch of times. I was at a previous church. Uh, I was sitting there, and God said, look around. And I'm going, okay, so I'm looking around, and he says, now look at this young woman over here. So I looked at her. I'm going, yeah? He says, you need to go encourage that young woman. I'm going, okay. This young woman, early 30s, had two small kids, squirrely kind of kids, had a husband that was not engaged, she basically carried the weight of that relationship. So I went over to her, and I says, Hey, I see how you're working with your kids. I appreciate what you're trying to do. I know this is hard. And I just encouraged her. And she started crying in front of me, and I'm going, Oh, my gosh. Now I've made the young girl cry. Then she hugged me, and she said, You do not understand what this means. She says, I have felt alone. I have felt like I didn't know what I was doing. And she said, it just seemed like nobody knew. And I said, yeah, I get it. So you see, so that's what we can do. Now, I don't want to sit here and say, if there's an opportunity pops up and you miss it, or you blow it, or you don't do anything about it, and then where it says here, you're walking in darkness. No, I think this walking in darkness is at a constant pattern of life. You're, that's what you do. All you care about is yourself. You don't care about anybody else. See? I think that's where you really get into darkness. Otherwise, if you're not careful, you could end up falling into that pattern. But you see, we all have the ability to stop the indifference. We just have to be aware. We have to be awake. We have to see what's going on. We have to watch. And really, you should come in here sometime and watch people coming in and out of this place. It's fun, you know. And then all this commotion. And it's fun being up here, too, because I get to watch all of you. See who's dozing off, which nobody is right now. <laughs> really, we just need to slow down. That's all. Now. Let me go back to where we started this. See the self-audit questions? Where are you walking? What are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you hating? And really, I should have changed that to say, what are you not loving? Hating is such a hard word, but it's here. You know, or what are you being indifferent with? So, we have the ability as believers, 
to figure out where we're at. It's right here. It's easy. Although you may not like what you find, but that's okay. Remember, there's the offering for the unknown sin, which is cool. Because you wake up one day and you go, oh yeah, I got a problem here, I got to deal with it. I now know. So, let's pray. Uh, Father, this is always a hard topic. Uh, Lord, um, I know for myself, I'm imperfect at best. Uh, I pray that you'll help us to figure this out, figure how this applies, figure out how you would want us to, to live and to take care of each other. In Jesus' name, amen.